0: Well, good morning again. Let's get our Bibles out and open to Acts, the 23rd chapter. Uh, You can find that on page 1284 in the Pew Bible in front of you. So if you didn't bring a copy of Scripture, just grab that hardback Bible there in the Pew in front of you. Turn to page 1284. You'll find the book of Acts, chapter 23. And uh, we've been studying through the book of Acts, section by section, verse by verse, And we come to this point, this long narrative that really uh, began in the previous chapters and is carrying through, and today we need to uh, look at this final section of this before we take a break, and then we'll come back and finish the book. We're almost to the end. It's going to be sad when we finish the book of Acts. It's been a wonderful, wonderful study that we've shared together. So this morning, I, uh, I just want to say that as we were uh, in worship and Chris was talking about John chapter 14 and uh, talking about Jesus' words to, of comfort that he goes to prepare a place for us and I'm so grateful and so thankful. If you do not know yesterday about four o'clock in the afternoon, Miss Sandy Schroeder Received the place that he prepared for her. And so uh, we can celebrate her life and be grateful for her. And pray for Bill in this time of separation. Until they're able to be together again. But she lived a faithful life. And she belonged to Jesus. And she has now received the inheritance that is due those who belong to him. And so we can be grateful for that. So let's pray this morning. And then we'll study together. Father, we thank you that you've allowed us as a family to be together. We are very grateful for the one another's here and around us, Lord. And we praise you that you give us the privilege to be able to do life together. So this morning, we pray for our brother Bill. We lift him to you. Pray that you would comfort him and fill him with a peace that passes all understanding. We're so grateful for your word and for the comfort and assurance we get in times like this when we know that someone is one of yours. We're so grateful and so thankful. So, Lord, today as we gather around your word again, we know you have something to say to us and that we're not here by accident, but you knew that we would be in this place at this time before this text. So will you use it to speak to us, please, for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's sort of set some context. The Apostle Paul uh, has a burden. He has a burden because the, the church in Jerusalem is struggling. And remember, he's been traveling all over uh, the world, uh, sharing the gospel and leading people to faith in Christ. In particular, God's called him to go to Gentile nations where the gospel has never been and plant churches and preach the gospel. And so as he has gone, he's carried this burden for the church in Jerusalem because they're uh, struggling and in, in under great persecution and uh, just Financially, they're really struggling. And so along the way, Paul has collected an offering from all the impoverished churches in Macedonia to bring to Jerusalem to be able to give to the church in Jerusalem to be an encouragement to them. And along the way, uh, everyone who has come in contact with Paul has urged him not to go to Jerusalem. They've told him it's not safe You know that when you get there, the Jews are going to try to kill you and things are going to go bad. Uh, But Paul has been uh, told by God and led by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem and he's being obedient to what he's been called to do. And so we've learned a lot about the gospel and a lot about how we need to think about uh, things and understand what is success and not success and what is what should be and Uh, you know not what is and so Paul gets to Jerusalem and sure enough as soon as he gets there things do not go well. Um, He is immediately taken captive by the Jews who immediately then try to kill him. Uh, He ends up being rescued by a Roman commander because of all the commotion going on and so he finds himself in a very precarious situation because the Jews hate him because he's a follower of Jesus. Um, then you've got the Jews in Jerusalem that have professed faith in Christ, but they're standoffish because they're not really sure about Paul and what he stands for. I mean, you, if, if you were a, a brand new follower of Jesus and you had just recently converted from Judaism, you would already be... Uh, persecuted and and probably rejected by people close to you, and then Paul comes into the scene, and people are having the same conversation you and I would have. I mean, everywhere this guy goes, you know, people are trying to kill him, he's being arrested, you know, he's being accused of all sorts of things, and you know how that goes when somebody is repeatedly accused of things, no matter uh, how much in the beginning you believe in their character eventually you start wondering well I don't know I mean maybe it's true maybe all this has got some merit and so they're standoffish meanwhile you have the Romans who are just trying to keep peace and so there's Paul a hostage he's almost been killed once now he's got to be dealt with by the Roman commander who's holding him prisoner he's got a a whole crowd of uh, incensed, crazy Jews outside chanting for his life. And the Roman commander is in a precarious situation as well because he's got people chanting for Paul, wanting his life. Meanwhile, he has now found out that Paul's a Roman citizen, which means he has rights, which means he, he has the right to, to have a fair trial. And Paul is not happy because he's been held hostage. And so you can see that everyone is in tension. Everyone in this whole story is is just seized with tension and emotion. Now just glance back to the very last verse of chapter 22. 22 verse 30. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds. So the commander released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all of their council to appear and brought Paul down to set him before them. You see, he's trying to figure out what am I going to do. This is very similar to when Jesus is before Pilate and Pilate's trying to figure out how do I get out of this mess. Well, it's the same situation. So. He calls for the religious leaders to convene and to come and to to sort of sort all this out. Now, what you need to notice here is that the Bible says that this Roman commander commanded the chief priests and their council to appear. That's not exactly the way that would go down. You see, the Romans don't command the... The chief priest to do anything you know they convene when they want to convene and so this is already a tense moment and now you have this uh, person acting outside the bounds of their normal uh, authority and so uh, it's sort of an ad hoc meeting if you will so they just sort of you know show up they're already showing up agitated Paul is agitated then we get to chapter 23 verse 1 then Paul, in, in English, you miss the intensity here. Looking earnestly. That the, the literal translation would be, then Paul giving the stink eye. <laughs> At the council. Paul's not happy. He said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. So what he's saying is, I have been innocent. I've, I've lived rightly before God. Verse 2, the high priest, Annas, so I don't know if, that Paul's done saying what he's going to say, but that's all he's going to get to say, because the high priest commanded those who stood by Paul to strike him on the mouth. So you're getting a sense of how tense this moment is. Now, I don't know how you would respond If you were being accused falsely and had an opportunity to stand up and defend yourself and you were able to say one sentence and then somebody smacked you in the mouth. Some of you growing up were smacked in the mouth multiple times. You were probably trying to defend yourself and were smacked in the mouth. Uh, As I thought about this, I thought, well... I mean, as your pastor, I would like to tell you that I would employ Matthew chapter 5, what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you that uh, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn and give him the other one. That's the right thing to do and that's what I'd like to tell you that I would do. Although I may... If I were honest, employ Nehemiah 13, 25, where Nehemiah said, uh, I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair. (laughs) Now, I realize that there are some of you that have never written down, taken notes or memorized Scripture in your life are like, I'm getting this one down right here. (laughs) Like, my life verse right before me. Nehemiah 13, 25. It's in the Bible. So there's a lot of tension. Then Paul said in verse 3, this is Paul's response after he gets smacked in the mouth. So Paul doesn't shut up. He says, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, which means you hypocrite, for you sit to judge me according to the law. And do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? Paul's not happy. And those who stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest? That's what they said to Paul. Paul's response is fascinating. Paul says, I did not know, brethren, that this was the high priest. Now, what's going on here? Remember, this is not a normal meeting of the high priest and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is an, a sort of an, an ad hoc meeting where they were called by the commander to gather together. So the high priest probably, no one was probably wearing their priestly garments The high priest probably wasn't wearing his robe, so he just looked like everybody else. Paul doesn't know who he is and didn't know who he was when he said what he did to him. So Paul says, well, I didn't know. And then he says, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. He quotes Exodus 22 and he says, you're right, I shouldn't have done that. He goes immediately to God's Word. All of the tension in this moment, he just gets smacked in the mouth. And he realizes that he said this to this man, and this man is the high priest. And so he goes immediately to being faithful to God's Word. And it's just a moment for us to stop and realize how difficult it is to be obedient to God's Word on a consistent basis, isn't it? Think of how hard it was in this moment for him to do that. When we commit ourselves to be faithful to God's Word, we normally have very little understanding of how how inconvenient and how difficult it's going to be in the future as we move forward. So if you have your listening guide Your first blanks are this. The hardest thing any Christian will ever do is to consistently order their lives according to God's Word. That's the hardest thing you're ever going to do. It's easy to say, and a lot of people will claim it, but to consistently do it, to hold to it, To, as I like to say, make the Bible your blueprint for life and godliness. To make decisions in your life. To balance things out. To weigh good and bad. To make all of your decisions and set your priorities according to the Word of God. It's the hardest thing you're ever going to do. Because it's going to be the most foreign thing in every way. And the most unpopular and difficult thing in the world in which we live. Now, Paul in this moment, I don't want you to miss this, is completely being wrongly accused and utterly being mistreated and is 100% innocent of everything he's being accused of. And so what he says is true. Who is Ananias, this high priest? Well, we know a lot about him. He's a horrible person. He's a horrible person. He's very cruel. He's so bad that the Jewish historian Josephus said that he's the worst high priest that the Jews ever had. In fact, ten years after this event, the Jews rise up in Jerusalem and overthrow the Roman government and take control of Jerusalem for about a three-year period. And when the Jews take control, I mean the Jewish masses take control, the people. Do you know who the very first person they kill is? The first Jew they execute. Ananias, the high priest. That's what a rotten, horrible person this guy is. But that's not the point. Paul immediately does what is excruciatingly difficult. He obeys God's word. His word that doesn't change. His word that you can't conform to your circumstances and say, well, but look at how, look at, look at what they're doing to me, and look at how terrible this person is. And it's, it's not about. This person. Paul knows that he's been called to be holy. And the word holy means to be different. You need to remember that. Holy means different. It means different. And so he quotes Exodus twenty-two twenty-eight: 28. You shall not revile God nor curse the ruler of your people. And it makes us, we need to just stop and think for a minute about. The world in which we live in today. In particular, our own. Country, Because I feel like this text has a lot to say to us today. We could have a long conversation about all the ways that America is not what it once was. And we could all talk about all the things that we think are the problem and the reason for that and we could point our fingers at all sorts of different people and things and agendas and so on and so forth but I think at the end of the day the problem with America today is we have an authority problem that's the problem we we live in a country that was literally founded on Authority On a higher authority. That's the whole purpose of why we exist. We, we establish this nation on the basis of the belief that all of our rights and everything we possess has been given to us by God. And so the Bible... That professing Christians say they believe, says in Romans chapter 13, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there are no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. That's what the Bible says. So according to Scripture, when it comes to this issue of authority, God calls us to respect the position regardless of our opinion. Is that true? That's true. Does your mouth reflect that? Does your Facebook page reflect that? Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, the Bible says. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. According to my limited time on social media, there's a lot of people in this room heaping up a bunch of judgment on themselves. See, here's the thing. We live in a time where we just respect the authority that we like. We respect the authority that's on our side. So there's a bunch of people in the room right now that are thinking, well, I, I respect the authority of our government right now. Did you respect the authority of your government when there was a previous president in the White House? Are you going to respect the authority of the position when the next president is in the White House regardless of who they may be? Or are you just going to keep heaping judgment upon yourself? See, we have an authority problem. We live in a country that it feels like it's coming apart at the seams. And I think the reason that it feels like that is because there's no respect for authority. There's no respect for law and order. There's no respect for, I mean, kids don't respect their parents. There's no respect for any authority. But now we could, we could, you get on Facebook and go on a big rant about how the younger generation doesn't respect authority. Go ahead. But when I read all your nonsense, you know what I think of? Oh, I think about, I wonder where they learned that. You think they just learned that from themselves? No. They learned that from watching us. Ranting and raving about all the things that aren't the way we think they ought to be. And disrespecting the authority that God's put before us. Because it's not the authority that we like. See, the Bible sees authority as it all starts with a respect for God. Now, listen Ananias is a horrible person. Paul doesn't agree with him in any way. Certainly, if there was a free vote, which there wasn't for the position of high priest, Paul would never have voted for him. He just got slapped in the mouth because of his word. And you know what Paul did? He honored God's Word. And he respected the position of the person regardless of his opinion. He submitted to the authority of God over him. Does this mean that you have to agree with everybody? No. That's what makes our country great. It's a free country. You don't have to agree with anyone's position. You have every right to have your own opinion. But if you're a Christian, you're under the command of God to respect the position. So you should be very careful about the things that you say. You notice what Paul didn't do? He didn't make an excuse. How many people in Paul's situation would have said, Well, how was I supposed to know he wasn't wearing his robe? I don't know. I've never met him. I didn't know that was him. Or, you know, I mean, I just got hit in the mouth. Or, he didn't say any of that. You see, you can disagree all day long, but you know what you can't do and profess the name of Christ? You can't be disrespectful. It's wrong. It's wrong. And so if words come out of your mouth or off the tips of your fingers onto social media that are disrespectful, it's wrong. And there's no occasion where it's not wrong. None. So why? Why, why does God feel so strongly about this? Well, because... As His people, we're an example to those who do not know Jesus. And you're about to see the most unbelievable, in my opinion, as I was studying this, it just felt like there's just these moments where I feel like the Scripture just opens up in front of me and I see something that I've never seen before and and I've never heard of anyone else talking about before. And it's just right here. Look at verse 6. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other part were Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope of the resurrection of the dead. I am being judged. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. Now understand, in this, of the religious rulers. So I want you to think about this this uh, assembly as Christianity. So within this you have different sects, you have different viewpoints within this group of the religious leaders. Paul, some of them, most of them are Pharisees. The, the smaller number of them are Sadducees, although the, higher, uh, the ones that hold the higher ranking positions are Sadducees. But you have these two groups. Paul happens to be a Pharisee. And he's the son of a Pharisee and was trained as a Pharisee. And why is Paul being judged? Paul is not not intentionally trying to divide the, the, the group, although he knows that what he's about to say is going to do that. But he is literally being tried and held captive because he believes in the resurrected Christ. Is that not true? So he just says what is true the hope of the resurrection. The problem is, is that the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees do. Pharisees believe in miracles. They believe in the resurrection. So if one of these two groups were going to come to faith in Christ, it would be a lot easier for a Pharisee to to come to faith in Christ than it would be for a Sadducee because a Sadducee didn't believe in any supernatural power whatsoever. So you have these two distinctly different viewpoints. And now suddenly, this group of people that was utterly united in killing Paul is now divided. Because Paul has brought this issue of contention into the midst of the conversation. Huh. So I want you to picture... Christianity today, and within Christianity, you have liberals, and you have conservatives. Right? Yes. Some of you are thinking, no, the only people that are Christians are on my side. (laughs) No, that's not true. So, you've got Christianity, but you've got some issues of contention and so they're utterly now listen one thing we can say about the Sadducees and the Pharisees at least they're zealous at least they follow through with what they believe I mean they're they literally physically want to kill Paul now they're wrong but they literally want to do that because they feel that he's threatening religion they're, they're, that he's threatening their belief in God and so they're defending it even in their even though they're wrong they're still zealous but now just that fast they're divided now what united them last week in their hatred against Paul remember one word their prejudice when Paul said the word Gentiles, they went ballistic. So they all are united in their prejudice. But now they're divided because Paul has now brought in an issue and now this group that was so together is now split wide open. Man, this seems like Christianity to me today. When people are more pro this or pro that than they are pro Jesus, we have a problem. It's a big problem. I mean, God's people. Here's my concern. My concern is that all the people that know you, they know how you feel about Politics, they know how you feel about the economy. They know how you feel about cultural issues. They know where you stand about this and that and the other. But they don't have any idea about your relationship with Jesus. And so guess what happens? You just become like these clowns. I mean, look at what happens in verse 8. The Sadducees say, well, there is no resurrection, nor angel or spirit. But the Pharisees confess both. Verse 9 So there arose a loud outcry. And the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil with this man. Five seconds ago, you wanted to murder him. Now we find no evil with this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. See, they're saying, well, maybe a spirit or an angel didn't. He's mistaken that for Jesus. Maybe that's what happened. In other words, they've forgotten all about all the other things, and now they're just standing on their platform. And they're, they're fighting each other over their platform. And the big picture of what really is important is just completely went out the window. Boy, that seems awfully familiar to me. Look at verse 10. Now when there arose a great dissension, the commander, the Roman commander, fearing lest, Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force from among them and bring him to the barracks. So they get so wound up and so jazzed up against each other and against Paul and all this stuff going on that the pagan Roman commander is afraid that the God-fearers are going to rip Paul to pieces. Wow. That's a shocking testimony. I read blogs. I hear uh, snippets of Christian leaders breeding divisiveness in our country, saying things like people, I'm talking about Christian leaders, coercing their church members to go out and protest. I heard Christian pastors eight years ago say that, well, this current president is not my president. I've heard, I've heard pastors say of our current president, this is not my president. Hmm. Our missional usefulness will be defeated when we're divided. When you get into all of this, what you do is you make yourself useless in the kingdom of God. And here's the thing. Just like the Sadducees and the Pharisees, you know what they think? They think they're defending God. That's what they think. And that's what Christians think when they go on some rant on social media, disrespecting people that God placed in authority. You know, God placed more than one person in authority. You know that, right? Right? You know that? It's not just the the one person that sits at the desk in the Oval Office. It's all the people that are there that you don't agree with. How'd they get there? According to Romans 13, God put them there. That's what the Bible says. Go ahead, scowl at me, it's okay. That's what the Bible says. And so there we go. Dividing and making ourselves of no no use, no consequence, no impact. Because what did we see last week? The key to our witness in the world, according to Scripture, is our unity. Isn't that what the Bible says? The world will know that we're His disciples by the way that we have love for one another. But when we start ranting and raving and disrespecting people and taking things way too far, what have we done? We're heaping the judgment of God upon ourselves. What we need to do is we need to learn how to, in life's most difficult moments like Paul, when you, sure, there's going to be these moments where you feel like someone just slapped you in the face. And when that happens, what you need to do is you need to rely on God's Word and not on your emotions because your emotions are going to lead you astray. And so what happens? The most amazing thing happens. All of this is going on. Paul's been taken into the barracks, protected by the Romans. And we get to verse 11. But the following night, the Lord stood by Paul and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem... So you must also bear witness at Rome. Now, I want us to just look at that verse for a second. I want you to think about what Paul has been through. I want you to think about all the times he's been beaten to within an inch of his life. Uh, People have have pelted him with rocks until he was left for dead. He, He is marred up, scarred up. His face is dented in. His back's just been ripped to shreds it's not like you went to the hospital and got stitches imagine what it looks like when something just has to grow back together and then you're whipped again and it's split open again and over and over everywhere he goes it's one thing after another and he's just it seems like nothing is going his way and yet now here he is and he's being held by these romans unlawfully He's made all of this effort to get to Jerusalem so that he could do this one thing and he didn't even get to do that. And so in all of the discouragement and the dismay and all of the things that maybe Paul can't understand and all of that, you try to put yourself in Paul's shoes. The Spirit of God comes. The Lord shows up to Paul. And you know what God doesn't say to Paul? Don't worry, Paul. Things are going to get better. He didn't say that. He didn't say, Paul... I know this has been hard, but just hang on. God doesn't address in any way Paul's emotions or his feelings. All the things you would want to hear, that's not what God said. And what does God say to Paul? Which is a very important thing for you to understand this morning. Because what you have here is a glimpse into what this whole narrative has been trying to teach us. God doesn't speak into our felt needs or our perceptions or our ideas. He speaks right into the reality of the situation according to His priorities, His plan, and His purpose. He's showing you what really matters. God says to Paul, cheer up. Because you have been faithful. You've testified of me in Jerusalem. God says, all that other stuff happened, I know, but That's not what's important. What's important is you spoke up about me in Jerusalem and you're going to do the same thing in Rome. Huh? Really? That's all I'm getting? Yes. Because that's what matters to God. All of these things that our flesh is telling us about this scenario are false God's not going to God's not addressing all of these wrong things God's not going to say well Paul but God's already addressed that see Paul already knows that he belongs to God and that God's not going to leave him or forsaken he already Paul already knows that why should you fear someone who could only kill the body when you should only fear someone who could kill the body and the soul See, Paul already knows that his circumstances are not the most important, relevant thing in the world because this isn't his home. Paul understands that the minute he departs, see, Paul knows that to live is Christ and to die is gain. He knows that. He knows that the most important thing in his life is to do what God has called him to do, which is obey God's word, obey God's commandment. God's spoken to him and told him he's going to be a witness. From the very beginning of this book, the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that we're going to, we are going to be his witnesses. All of this is about being his witness here and around the world. That's what it's about. And so God says... Cheer up. Because you've been faithful. God's saying you've been successful. Everyone in the world's going this is a disaster. This is the worst thing that ever happened. And God's going, "Great job, Paul. You win." 2nd Timothy chapter 1. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. He says, "Timothy, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Remember, a different calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. Not your purpose, not my purpose. His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. See, listen listen to this now. God did not ask for permission. He didn't didn't ask us for permission to carry out His plan. He invited us to participate as He carries out His plan. Now, here's what you got to understand. He's invited us to participate. But by participate, that doesn't mean whatever we want to do, however we want to do it. You see, the only way to participate is you have to participate on His terms and His way. And He has His own special purpose. And it's different. It's different. So you know what? Come on, let's go full circle here. What does this teach us? Oh, I see. So God... Now this is going to revolutionize some of your life, so you might want to hold on to the pew because you may... Don't pass out on me, are You ready for this? Brace yourself. The God of the universe may actually, it may possibly be that He's doing something in the world and even something in our nation and even something politically, that He's doing something according to His purpose that we don't understand, that doesn't make sense to us, that we don't agree with, but the one who's in charge is allowing it to happen. So maybe people of faith ought to not be on and on and on about how it's the end and everything's a disaster and it's a, wait a minute, I thought God was sovereign. I thought God was good. I thought the Bible's true. It can't be both. Which is it? Is what you feel and what you see and what you think about, is that the reality? Or is the Bible the reality? Because they're very different. Now which one's it going to be? Who's defining success here? He has his own special purpose. And you say to yourself, because I know, because I've read some of your rants. It breaks my heart for you. For you. Well, how can this be good? This can never be good. This can't be good. this I so bad want to type in, because you're not God. Because you're not. And quite frankly, I'm really glad you're not. So quickly, 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 I just want to show you this consistently through the Bible, this principle. Very familiar story in Numbers chapter 20. These verses will come up on the screen. Just listen to what I'm going to say. Forty years after God delivered his people from uh, captivity in Egypt, there arises a very desperate situation. The people of God are out in the wilderness. The sun is baking down. It's hot. It's dry. There's no water. They're they're thirsty. Their animals are getting weak and starting to perish. And it's a very grave situation. As life in the desert without water could only be. And so what do the people of God do in this situation? Well, they do what they've always done. They blame their leaders. That's what they do. And so in Exodus 20, verse 2, they say, Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. So see, this isn't new. This has always been this way. So they're going to blame them. Then it goes on to say in verse 3, And the people contended with Moses and Aaron, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought us up, the assembly of the Lord, out into the wilderness, that we and our animals should die here, that we may. Uh, that why have you made us come out to Egypt to bring us to this evil place? Is it not a place of uh, grain, of figs, or vines, or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink? Here is, they say to Moses, why have you brought us out here into the wilderness? Which, is, it's a head-scratcher. It's like, wait a minute. So... Let me get this straight. You think that Moses and his own power brought those plagues against Pharaoh? Oh, yeah, that was Moses and his power that parted the Red Sea that you walked across. Like you forgot all that and now have determined that it was a man that led you here? Because why? Because we're suffering, because we don't like it, because things aren't the way we think it ought to be. It doesn't make sense. Well, if God led us here, certainly he would provide water for us. He wouldn't, we wouldn't be. It's got to be someone else's fault. So they start, here we go, division. Moses did it. So Moses and Aaron are distraught, obviously, because the people are, I mean, it's a mess. So what do they do? They go before the Lord and God graciously speaks to them in verse 8. And God says, take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water Thus you shall bring water to them out of the rock and give them the congregation to drink and all their animals. So Moses does what the Lord instructs. You know this story. They gather everybody together before the rock and Moses stands up there in verse 10. Moses and Aaron gather the assembly together before the rock and they said to them, Hear now you rebels. They're aggravated. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? And he raises his arm and he strikes the rock with his staff, not once but twice, and water gushes from the rock. Not just a little water, not a drop of water, but Niagara Falls comes out of the rock. And everybody's drinking. There's, there, there's enough clean, clear, cold drinking water to flooding the pit. Everyone has all they need. And it's like Jubilee. And you can hear the crowd chanting, Moses, Moses. They're so, I mean, he's our man. Five minutes ago, it's all his fault. Now, oh, we like this. You're the greatest, Moses. I mean, the human heart doesn't change. Fickle, man, fickle. Nothing brings out the worst in people than discomfort. My goodness. So they're chanting his name. Boy, he is the greatest thing in the world. However, you know, as they're carrying Moses on their shoulders around, you know, he's crowd surfing. We find out that God's not real pleased about what happened. And he sees things completely different than the way everyone else sees them. In fact, that very moment that, Everyone regarded as the high point in Moses' life and ministry, God regards as the low point in his life and ministry. But nobody else sees that, but God does. And the Bible says that God was very explicit in what he told Moses to do. And he had told him to get up and to speak to the rock, and that the rock would yield water. And Moses got up and he struck the rock. And in verse 12, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. You know, you know that verse right there. Some of you, all of your life, have read that verse and thought, wow, man, God is really overreacting about this. And I hope that in this moment, the reality of the same God that said that to Moses and Aaron is the same God you're going to stand before. Who commanded you to honor those in authority over you. And there's, a very, there's some very important principles to learn from this story. Principle number one. It's possible to be regarded as hugely successful in the eyes of the world. And yet, not at all be successful in the eyes of God. There's not one single person that's going, you know, this might be a problem. Nobody. Nobody. Everybody thinks this is wonderful because everybody always thinks that when things are going their way, it's wonderful. And just five minutes earlier when there was no water to drink, no one could fathom the fact that God was still in control. How could this be? I mean, how how could how could these people be getting elected? How could these laws be being passed? How could these things be happening in our country? This cannot possibly be God's will. Oh, really? Really? No, not according to the way you're screaming at Fox News every day. There is no God. I think it's clear in Numbers chapter 20. See, God's looking for faithfulness. That's what God's looking for. And you know what God knows that we oftentimes don't understand? I don't know why it's so simple. God's looking for faithfulness. And you know what? You can't see faithfulness in good times. You know what you need? Hardship. Then you can see faithfulness. See, all the people, you don't don't see the true thoughts and intentions of their heart until there's no water. Then suddenly the truth comes out. See, as long as everything's going the way you think it ought to go, well, then you look like the most faithful person in the world. Well, of course you do. But but how how have we lost sight of? Can can I just share some things with you? You know where the fastest growing church in the world is? Thank you, Ron. Do you know where it is? Come on. Shout it out. Where's the fastest growing church in the world? What country right now has Christianity growing faster than any other country? Is it the United States? Is it any free country? Is it any country you'd ever name? Number one, Iran. Iran. Ladies and gentlemen, could it be? That God's more concerned about people coming to faith in Him than He is about doing things the way we think He ought to do it. Is that possible? Yes, it is. And are we gonna sit here this morning and say that He hasn't given us enough promises in His Word? He hasn't told us enough about Him, His nature, His character, His steadfastness? You are telling me that in the 66 books of the Scripture, you don't have enough information to walk faithfully to Jesus no matter what may come. Is that what we're saying? Come on. So it's going to get hard for the glory of God, then let it be. But what we want to do is be part of what God's doing, not be part of Satan's plan of division. We want to be on God's team. You want to have God's priorities, you want to see with God's eyes. Read your Bible, please. Get off your agenda, and read your Bible. He's looking for faith. Hebrews chapter 11 says it's impossible to please God without faith. I want to please God. I don't know about you, but I want to please God. The goal of my life is to please God, and guess what? I know that the only way to please God is by faith, and the only way God sees faith, the only way God makes faith is through hardship. That's the only way. So if I got to go through hell to please God, then so be it. So be it. That doesn't mean I like the things I see. That doesn't mean I like the way things go. Paul didn't like the way things are going, but he obeyed God. You see, when it all comes down to it, at the end of the the rainbow, at the end of the line, at the end of your life, it's all going to boil down to very simple, rock-bottom issues. Who and what did you trust? Because what you did with what you were given, proves what you trust. Not what you say, what you did proves who and what you put your trust in. And if you say that my trust is in the Lord, then how does one trust God? There's only one way. By obeying what He says that's the only way. And so God comes to Paul in the midst of a string of the worst scenario you could ever dream up in a million years and he says, "Great job, Paul. You know why? Cuz you were faithful to my word. And my word commanded you to speak up. To testify to me, to go and make disciples of all nations and that's what you're doing. You've been faithful. And so now I'm going to send you to Rome. There's going to be more suffering. It's not over. But one day it will be. And nobody in the history of the world's ever gotten to heaven, looked back and thought, I'm not sure this was worth it. No, what we're going to look back at is all the petty pathetic silly nonsense that we got ourselves wrapped up in that didn't matter for nothing the fundamental issue in following jesus is one of faith it's an issue of faith and see the thing about faith is it comes through trusting god and the thing about trusting god is is that it's developed in an arena that has no boundaries because it can only be developed in an arena with no boundaries because it is a continual journey of coping with the unknown. All the way back in chapter 21, we started this conversation, going not knowing. Man, everybody loves going not knowing until you're the one going and not knowing. That's what God called us to do. See, the judgment comes down on Moses and Aaron. God said, because you did not believe me to hallow my name before the people. He comes to Paul and says, Paul, you believed me and you spoke up and you testified before the people for me. Yeah. If we trust him, our faith will inevitably lead us to follow His prescription for our lives. It's never going to be our prescription. So I just tell myself that unfortunately, I don't live in a world where everything makes sense to me. I don't, I don't live in a, a country where things go the way I want to go. I don't live in a time where I can eat all the ice cream I want and not gain a pound. But one day I will. So I'm going to be faithful today. No matter how difficult or unpopular it may be to the things that God's called me to. Because he's looking for faith. He's looking for faith. Let's stand and bow our heads.